It's time for What's Up with Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. Morena, Prime Minister, how are you this morning? Morena, I'm well, thank you. Uh, we've got some big ones to talk about. It's been a, a wee while since we've had a chat with you and there's certainly plenty that has been uh, going on. Let's start with the Green Party leadership situation because that all kicked off on the weekend at their annual conference. There was a vote of no mm. confidence upheld against James Shaw, who's obviously co-leader. He's also Minister for Climate Change. With polling so tight ahead of the election next year, are you concerned about the reflection this might have on Labour's ability to form a potential coalition government? Well, I, I guess ultimately that the Green Party's still in the middle of a process. Um, so so just for context for, for those, and of course I've been uh, learning a little bit about some of the Green Party pro- uh, processes as I go as well. They uh, they have a uh, an annual, every time they have a conference, they basically uh, almost have a confirmation vote of sorts on their co-leaders that you have to get a super majority for. So you need 75% of the delegates to support you for that. Um, my recollection is that uh, Minister Shaw got about 71, and so uh, uh, that means uh, that that then opens up uh, the co-leader position, essentially. So he's indicated that, um, you know, obviously with that um, 70 plus percent of support that he intends to put his name forward again. And so that process still has uh, to, to run its course. So we'll leave that to the Green Party. Uh, am I concerned about the wider impacts on on um, the Labour Party? Uh, no, I, I see this as very much an internal issue for the Greens. You know, where it affects us is ministerial portfolios. And in my view, uh, Minister Shaw has done uh, an excellent job. He still holds my confidence, and so therefore I intend to keep him in that role regardless of what happens with his internal party politics. Now, there is evidently some frustration within the Broad Greens movement about, I guess, the speed at which we're moving on climate change. Uh, do you feel that the government's action on climate change is adequate? Yes, I do, uh, and, and I'll defend that very strongly. Uh, you know, when I look, for instance, at the progress that we've made in the time that we've been in office, we have created now the infrastructure for New Zealand to fulfil its climate obligations, you know, for the next 50 years. We have the zero carbon legislation. We have our carbon budgets. We have the Independent Climate Commission to support us in that work. We have now our emissions reduction plan and $2.9 billion worth of funding going into climate reduction and mitigation activities. We've increased our NDC, you know, our, uh, our ambition on emissions reduction uh, to 50%. Uh, we have also uh, um, more than doubled our climate finance uh, contribution uh, and said that at least half of that will go into the Pacific. Uh, and of course, we're doing a number of things that are world first. And when you know, when I'm overseas representing New Zealand, I often have some of those initiatives raised. People are really interested in what we're trying to do around food production, uh, because not many countries are as renewable as we are on electricity generation. And so that's the next hard to move. Uh, point of um, uh, emissions creation and so they are looking to us for initiatives here. So look, is there more to do? Absolutely. But I am really proud of the progress that's been made. Well, while we're talking about climate change, we should talk about the big weather that we're seeing across the country at the moment. Uh, Also internationally as well, of course, it's been quite a scary time to watch the heatwave that the UK's been experiencing and now to see the incredible flooding that's been happening in the South Island. And this isn't the first time we've talked about flooding with you. This is not the first flooding we've seen. I think it's something like nine major weather warnings this year, which is pretty remarkable for Aotearoa. Uh, When are we going to see the national 
adaption plan implemented? Ah, so this is actually something that we've been working on. It's been out for consultation. Uh, the National Adaptation Plan um, is part of the work that we've committed to doing and is underway. Uh, this is where, though, you know, this is going to be a significant ongoing piece of work for us alongside local government and also, uh, you know, in my view, insurers need to be at the table here as well. Uh, you're right. These are signs of, you know, um, the impacts of climate change. Uh, we've been very clear that this needs to be part of our planning and thinking for the future in, in a couple of ways. The first thing we need to make sure that when we're building infrastructure in the future or when you have even residential um, planning going on for local government, that they have enough information and data to ensure that we're not building in prone areas that we can tell from severe weather events are going to be high risk. The trickier and harder piece of work that we're needing to do is what happens for those already there. Mm -hmm. uh, that is that is going to be a longer piece of work that we need to do together. We don't want a situation, though, where all of that is determined simply by who is able to be reinsured. And so we've got some examples in different parts of the country where this is an issue now, where I've asked our teams we need to be working with them on the ground to be finding those solutions, and that will help us with our future framework. What are you hearing from local councils and, and local leaders about what they're needing right now? Is it is it in this space that they're most concerned about the immediate moment? You know, I think actually for local government, one of one of the issues that, you know, speaking frankly, that we have is that there is a lot on their plate right now because so many of the issues that we're confronting as a nation, uh, local government are a piece of that puzzle. So everything from look, the housing crisis in part comes back to whether or not we've got the right planning laws, but also whether we've got the right water infrastructure. So you've got resource management reform that we're working on as a result. You've got the three waters work, which is all about making sure we have the right water infrastructure and investment going on. Uh, and so for local government, there is, there, they are at the heart of a number of big issues that we're working through. Yes, they want progress on this, but they also want to make sure that we do it in a way that gives them a bit of time to work through it too. Well, let's talk about, uh, sorry to keep going crisis to crisis here, but let's talk about another one of those ongoing situations, cost of living. It is a very yeah. tricky time out here. We, yeah. we know it's affecting a broader group than it possibly has ever affected, but we've seen some interesting studies recently that show, of course, those folks who are already the most hard hit are really having a hard time. I think the University of Otago's just published uh, some findings that solo mothers are struggling the most with food insecurity at the moment. We've also seen the People's Inquiry into Student Wellbeing, which is indicating that students are spending up to 50% of their income on rent. If not now, when is the time for a circuit breaker? Are we going to hear a conversation about something like a universal basic services or incomes set up in Aotearoa? Yeah, well, I mean, you, you ask if not now. Well, it, it is now. You know, and I think the discussion and the debate that's being had isn't whether or not we're willing to move on uh, things like benefits and income adequacy because we have. I think the issue that some people raise is whether or not we've gone far enough. And this is where you've seen, though, that we haven't done one thing and then moved on. We have continually sought to improve and increase incomes for those particularly on government benefits because that is where we hold responsibility and that's where it's been inadequate. Everything from indexing to wages, which we know will stop the lag that we've previously had that's allowed our benefits um, to really fall behind uh, the increases to general benefit rates that we've made, which I was just looking at some data yesterday, for the first time has res restored incomes 
to pre-1990 levels and the period of cuts that we saw for the first time. And it's very clear that even when you take into account increases in the cost of living, we have restored those rates. For, for students, there's been a roughly 50% increase over the course of a number of increases. Um, does that mean that all the pressure is gone for them? No. And there are a number of things that we need to keep working on there. Um, but I absolutely stand by the efforts that we've made. We do need to, at this present point in time to make sure that we're doing things that are specific to the issues we see now. So we've got the cost of living payment coming in on the 1st of August and a lot of people don't know that that's still coming. It's $350 but over three payments and of course we'll keep up the reduction in fuel and the half price public transport and for those on community services now, cards, that continues for good. Now the, is permanent. the transport one is an interesting one because all of these things yeah. that, that you, you mentioned there, they're great, they're useful in an immediate sense, but we're talking long term here. These are people who are no, stuck in entrenched patterns. All the things I've mentioned, apart from the cost of living payment, are permanent. MST are releasing reports soon that will demonstrate that the cumulative impact of those changes we've made are on average for those on government support representative of about $175 a week more than when in 2017. Those are some of the most significant increases we've had. Now, I know that for many, for many, it is still extraordinarily tough. So for us, it's not an end point, but I am going to push that we have made a lot of progress. One thing I do I do have to mm -hmm. ask you about, I know it's been brought up many times before, but capital gains tax, is that ever going to be revisited? Not under me. You know, and one of one of the things that I had to uh, acknowledge at that time, and of course you remember we went to multiple elections on it, was at that time I just didn't have the ability, um, we didn't have the support. And actually, frankly, after three times of giving it a go, it was, you know, it was questionable whether or not we had the support of, um, of the public. So that was the position I've taken, and I'm a person of my word. Well, thank you. Keeping in mind, though, we have, of course, extended the Bright Line test, um, and we have removed interest deductibility. Uh, we've seen a change in the makeup of the housing market as a result. Uh, some claim that those are some of the most very significant steps that you could take uh, in terms of trying to get the playing field back to, towards first buyers, uh, and uh, I think we're seeing the impact of that now in our housing market. Well, thank you very much for your time this morning, Prime Minister. We really appreciate it. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, and hopefully we see some rain ease across the country in the next couple of hours. Thanks so much. I hope so too. Take care. Ka kite. That was What's Up with Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern.